1: Welcome to this episode of Take 15, I'm Len Costa, a director at CFA Institute. I'm in Copenhagen, Denmark at the third annual European Investment Conference where I'm joined by Barbara Hauser. Barbara is an attorney by training and a consultant with more than 25 years of experience working with ultra high net worth families on issues of international estate planning and family governance, which is the subject of our discussion today. Barbara, welcome.
0: Thank you very much, Lan. It's great to be here.
1: Let's start with a, a basic but important question to set the scene. Uh, what kinds of families can benefit most from a formal governance structure?
0: Well, first they need to have a significant amount of family wealth. So there's a lot at stake. but. Probably more important is that they are committed to working with two or more generations, so multi-generational families who are planning for the future.
1: And Barbara, you've emphasized in your writing that the process of arriving at a governance structure is just as important, if not more important, than the actual governance documents themselves. Can you elaborate on that?
0: Yes, but before we start talking about how the process works, I wanted to set the stage in terms of the financial risk that's out there, especially since this is an investment conference. I would say that having good family governance is part of risk management because if you take the families with large fortunes, multi-generational wealth, Uh, The biggest risk to destroying that fortune is not the market. The big risk comes from the family internal fighting. And that can ruin everything. So I start with why should they care before talking about how to do it the best way. So why they should care is if they want to avoid the destruction of the accumulated family wealth and the family relations.
1: Well, since you brought up the issue of investment management, um, obviously investment committees can be uh, difficult uh, in terms of governance uh, even when there aren't family members involved. When you throw family members into the mix, it adds an additional layer of complexity. Do you have any advice for how family members can come together and, and make decisions about investments to minimize this risk of conflict?
0: So now I'll come back to your question about the process. Uh, because the process explanation applies to all of the issues. It took me a long time to realize how important the process is. It didn't come naturally to me. Uh, I started life as a tax and trust lawyer doing structures, uh, taking the wishes of the strong, successful founder, imposing them on the rest of the family, without consulting them. And I finally realized that when the founder passes away, generally the family fights, and they can pull apart all the structures. So it's taken me a long time, but now I've seen that a slow process the family participates in is what will keep the family together. And as part of that process, they can have a lot of different committees, including an investment committee. But if the process is strong, uh, they'll be able to make good decisions and they'll avoid the fights. I care about this so much, and I've thought about it so much, that uh, last summer I set aside six weeks and wrote a book on family governance. I was just going to call it avoiding family fights as a subtitle. But as I got into the subject, I realized that a family who goes through this process ends up also being a much more uh, fulfilled family. And every country seems to have a proverb about Putting your own individual house in order, then your family, then your country, and it follows that the world will be in good shape. So I ended up adding achieving world peace as part of the process.
1: Let's talk for a few minutes about the, the building blocks of family governance, family councils and family constitutions. Let's start with family councils. What role can they play in the governance structure?
0: Well, I start out talking to a new family saying, imagine your family is a small country, as they're very similar to a small country. Why do they want to be together? What do they hope to achieve? What's the protection against the outside world? So if they're going to be a small country, what do good countries do? And if you look at country governance models, you've got the founding dictator, very much like my traditional clients were for so many years and sooner or later you have a revolt and the eventual answer that seems to stick is a elected representative smaller group and that's the family council
1: and I, I would imagine that these this structure in particular is important for bringing the next generation into the governance process can you elaborate on that aspect of this?
0: Sure. Bringing the next generation in is one of my very favorite topics. So, um, bringing the next generation in, again, is looking ahead to the future. Does the family have as a goal success to stay together, keep the investments together, keep the family business running for a long time? If so, what helps them do that? And it's not easy. The odds are in favor of failure. Only six to ten family businesses last to the third generation. As I said at the beginning, the big risk is internal conflict. So if they all participate and have a small representative group that can include... A plan for bringing in the next generation on a gradual basis. Then they just keep representing the larger group. It's very similar to um, public company and good governance with the board. So the board of a good company would be like the family council of a well-organized family. Or if you go back to countries, it would be like a parliament or a congress or an assembly representing the larger group.
1: And where does the family constitution fit into this structure? What role does that play?
0: Well, I decided when I was writing my book that it's very critical. It's the central piece. Again, start with countries. Uh, A country, except for England, comes together and develops its constitution I think India has the longest one in the world, has a very unusual legal and political background and tries to accommodate everyone. Uh, Many constitutions are quite short, but the idea of a constitution is to agree on how the rules will be made, who will make them, how are they made. And that's the core part of any kind of governance in a family, business country.
1: Barbara, you've traveled all over the world in your Not consulting. Not everywhere, <laughs> mostly. In many parts of the world <laughs> for your consulting practice. Um, do these elements of the governance structure have universal applicability? Are there? What is the role of, of cultural norms and how all of this plays out?
0: Yeah, I thought about that a lot, um, especially when I started doing work with families in Saudi Arabia. And then I went back in the U.S. and mentioned it to uh, fellow colleagues. And one of them said to me, what are you doing, just going out, imposing Western democracy on the whole world? And I thought, that doesn't really sound that good. But as I thought and wrote about it, and as I've worked with more families in a number of countries, it does seem to me that there are universal pieces, the process The representative group and that is true around the world there's an international group that studies the sense of well-being in countries subjective well-being they call it not happiness and the factors they find that make people in one country happier than others i think denmark and sweden are happy countries uh, by the way is that they have a sense of freedom of choices and they feel they participate. So it's not imposing Western democracy on the world, number one. It is what seems to make people happy everywhere. Cultural differences, yes, another thing I thought about gives um, an answer that surprised me. I decided, and I've written an article, it's on my website about it, that I probably do a better job when I'm working in a different culture. And the reason for that is that I know I have to listen more carefully. I don't have my quick assumptions about what they must think. Now, those quick assumptions—I'm um, thinking of one example now—are often quite wrong, even back in the U.S. There's one man I had a the process interview with talking about his difficult family relations I thought he started laughing and I was going to chuckle along with him and I realized he was crying so I can't stress how important listening to who the people are you are gonna work with and very gently helping them through a very slow process there's no quick fix on this
1: Well, to wrap up, Barbara, what's the single most important piece of advice you could provide to a private wealth uh, professional or a financial advisor uh, that is working with a family where there are many governance issues?
0: Uh, The first key word is respect, to help the family respect each other. I think we'll get you most of the way there. And the second goal would be harmony to have them learn through a process to work in harmony with investment decisions and every other important decision they have to make.
1: Barbara, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. And thank you for watching this episode of Take 15. Copyright 2010 CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.